Welcome to the Prism Lighthouse Podcast with me, Ali Petrovka. This is your space to explore your spirituality. Let's dive right in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Prism Lighthouse Podcast. Today, I sat down with Abeda, who is an experienced yoga teacher, an emerging death doula, and a bereavement counselor based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Abeda started her yoga journey in 2014, and she has spent two years maintaining her own asana practice before moving on to complete multiple yoga teacher trainings in yin and hatha yoga, and as you'll hear in the episode as well, doing grief relief yoga. Abeda finds her passion to share yoga is rooted in developing a sustainable mindful practice for boosting mental health and physical resilience. Her intention is to use embodiment practices as powerful tools in grief recovery. She ended her end-of-life companion training in 2020, and she studied bereavement counseling completing the course in 2021. Over her time, her journey has evolved into a focus on social service by facilitating community-oriented practices and projects. Her career path is set in becoming an end-of-life care specialist, both in the financial and wellness sectors. And that is what we dive into in this episode, grief, community, end-of-life support, and bereavement. So trigger warning for anybody who is sensitive to these topics. This may not be the episode for you, and that's okay. Remember to take care of yourself, honor yourself, maybe come back to it later if that feels more aligned and beneficial to your mental health right now. And Let's dive right in. I hope you enjoy this episode with Abeda. Okay, Abeda, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Prism Lighthouse podcast. I know it's like a weird thing to be excited about, but I'm excited to talk about death and grief and that whole process. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks, Ali. And thank you for sharing your platform and a warm welcome to your listeners as well. And I'll just add in for anybody listening, this can obviously be a pretty heavy topic. So if at any point you need to pause the episode and come back to it later or just, you know, not finish it all together, that is totally fine. Take care of yourself. Do whatever you need to do to feel good and at the same time, continuing to expand and learn new things, but definitely continue to take care of yourself. So can we start with a little bit of just telling us quickly about yourself? Um, We did do an intro, um, but how did you get into becoming a death doula? And maybe what is that? Sure. So To define the role of a death doula, they are companions to 
people who are dying, as well as their families. And they also serve as educators and guides to anybody who's curious about learning things related to the dying process and also any sort of advanced planning in preparation for dying. Um, death doula focus is being an added layer of support to care teams. So your care team can be your doctor, your family, your friends, anybody who's nurturing and seeing to somebody who's dying. And when it comes to serving as a death doula, your primary focus is to advocate for the wishes of the dying person, as well as just supporting the family and making sure that they are a loving, steady presence and during a very intense time. Um, in terms of my journey becoming a death doula, it's a very new uh, journey which I got into last year. A friend of mine had introduced me to the work of Death Doulas. She showed me a Refinery29 interview with a Lua author, and my mind was just blown to just know that there is a community of death workers who are tend to, I feel an issue that we're all going to be impacted at some point in our lives, loss and death. So that's how I came to this journey of serving as a death doula. I think that's so beautiful and so admirable for you and anybody else who's in this line of work to commit themselves to that level of care at such a difficult and confusing time in people's lives. My mom passed away in March 2020 and I know, and I'm sure it's a, a universal experience, no matter how ready you think you are for that experience. And my mom passed from breast cancer, so it was a really long process. No matter how ready you think you are, you still have no idea how you're going to react, how you're going to feel, what the, how your, your siblings or friends or other parents or loved ones or other people that are in it how they're going to react in that process so to have somebody who's caring but still slightly removed enough that they're not having their own emotional process at the same time that would just be so deeply helpful especially for i think people who like i'm already very comfortable with death. And I think that helped me a lot when my mother passed. But for people who fear death or are uncomfortable with the experience or the emotions, to have someone as a guide through that process could just be so transformational. You make a really excellent point about looking into the process and the experience and that although we create a community when we are providing end-of-life care there is still different pathways within that community that people are walking and it's such an important part of that process when we start to look at how are we showing up for people 
especially if you're going through an experience that can be very turbulent and, and destabilizing, where you find that you have a lot of brain fog, or if you're struggling to deal with the process of losing a loved one, there is somebody, as you've said, who is there to support you, at least with the process, which opens up space for you to go through your own unique experience of learning how to experience and express um, grief or mourning. And I suppose that's one of the key things in this time where we are allowing people the space to experience without having any sort of need to feel like it needs to be point A to point B. So just in that present moment, being able to be present with your experience and having someone to take you through the process is definitely helpful. Mm -hmm. And you know, to juxtapose it to like a birth doula, I think one of the beneficial roles of a birth doula is for the non-birthing parent to be able to focus on the birthing parent, focus on that relationship and that personal experience while the birth doula advocates with the doctors and the nurses and make sure the water bottle's full and the back's getting massaged and all that kind of things. In the same sense, the death doula can help to take care of more of the technical parts of the process and the people that are close to the person who's passing can focus on that relationship and really being present in their final days with the person who is passing on. Absolutely. And I think in my mind, you've created this really interesting link because we touch a lot on the service that birth doulas provide. And I feel like birth doulas are more commonly known. Um, there's more freedom when we talk about somebody giving birth. Um, and there's a lot more excitement and community participation around the process of birth. And, you know, there's a saying where it says it takes a village to raise a child. And I feel like it's the same when it comes to the end of life process, that it actually does take a village to see someone through to the other side or see someone through their passage of the end of life. So I feel in that respect that end of life care is so important because not only can we break down barriers to access of care, but we can still maintain an intimate relationship even in the time of death. So the same way that we are enthusiastic and excited about people giving birth, we can honor people's legacy, the lives that they've lived by supporting them through their end of life process and still maintaining a sense of community and intimacy and relationship. Yes, and I think you hit on right there some of the things that I feel are really missing from the death experience, which is community and relationship. I f it feels to me, and, and I, I would love to hear this, because I'm in Canada and most of the listeners are in Canada and you're in South Africa. So it'd be interesting to see if there's a difference. Um, but here I find that people are so uncomfortable with talking about death and the experience of someone passing and so then it leads them to not know how to support their friends or their loved ones who have someone passing. So everyone just kind of avoids 
the situation and is it's just awkward and if we were able to speak about it openly and speak about our feelings openly and remember that like I said even though you think you're ready you still have no idea how you're really going to react and what the what emotions are going to come up if we were able to support and have more community around that I think the whole experience of a loved one passing or yourself passing would just be just like a birth, you know, it's something to celebrate a life that was lived deserves to be celebrated. It doesn't deserve to be pushed in the corner and kind of ignored until everything's over and then you can just go back to normal life. Yes. And listening to what you're saying like my mind is just racing with so many different i suppose experiences or yes i suppose experiences that come from that fear or how fear influences the experience in terms of end of life and what happens to a community that is impacted by death so it depends. I feel like I've learned a lot about different cultural and religious practices when it comes to handling the actual death of somebody or somebody passing away. But despite there being different cultural and religious practices that deal with an end of life process, and then the funeral itself or any sort of ceremony that marks the end of somebody's life, generally that is when you find that a community really comes together people are willing to help with the preparation of the funeral they're willing to to be there to honor the life but it's really the process that or rather the experience that continues after that it's after the funeral where there seems to be an absence of support or an absence of knowing how do I show up for somebody who is experiencing loss. And I feel that it's the fear of being awkward or not knowing what to say. And then when we look at people who have just experienced loss, um, as you've said, it's like, we don't know what our response is to loss until we're actually in that moment. So finding a way to assure each other, though we have no idea what the experience might be like still knowing that one constant in the experience will be that we can still come together even if it's a little bit clunky even if it's a little bit awkward or there's an absence of knowing what to say that presence as well is enough because that pain that people feel when they experience loss doesn't end after the funeral so just finding how can we support each other in better ways even after ceremonies have taken place. Definitely. And I, I remember hearing it years ago that like two weeks after this, the funeral, everyone else kind of moves on. And then when my mom passed, it was like, oh yeah. And it's, and from being in the flip side of that position, we're having friends who have lost parents as well. I, it makes sense, you know, like your grief is always present. There will never be a time where I don't miss my mom. It just becomes less often or less intense. It's just, it's not 
at the front of my mind. And that's how it is for people who aren't directly affected by the situation either. They have jobs, they have kids, they have their own relationships, they have their own parents, they have their own stuff going on. And for myself, I do enjoy when people like bring up happy memories of my mom. That's a really nice way to connect. This is just me, but sometimes people just like to remind me that my mom's dead. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, I haven't forgotten about it. So, like, those aren't situations. Like, for anybody listening, you know, if someone you care about has a loved one that passed on, like, they know that person's gone. So, Mm -hmm. like, to be like, oh, your mom's been passed for a year. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know what you're trying to get at here. But if you're like, oh, remember that time we did this with your mom and it was so much fun? Like... You're, you're doing the same kind of thing, but focusing on a happy memory, just on like the reminder of loss. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, I hear you. I think um, if I can echo back what you are saying, um, the need for firstly acknowledging the shift in someone's identity when they have lost somebody. So an example um, losing a parent, you, um, I suppose that that is a shift in identity. Even if you haven't lost both parents, for lack of a, a, a better word, you are really, I don't want to say often, but I mean, you've lost somebody and your identity has shifted. Yeah. So how do we collectively help people acknowledge that their identity has shifted And how are we in communication, as you said, in a way that is nourishing, in a way that helps you to remember the legacy of your mother, as opposed to focusing on the pain of loss. And I think it's really a wonderful opportunity, not only for you, but for anybody who has experienced loss recently to take those moments, if you do have the space, if you do have the capacity to to treat people as if they are teachable, to say, you know, when I talk about my loved one, when I talk about remembering my person, I like to focus on the happier memories or I like to focus on, um, you know, whatever part of her legacy that resonates with you most at that time. It's really such a wonderful um, opportunity for connection and for informing people how to show up And it definitely takes a lot of bravery on your part as somebody who is bereaved. And it takes a lot of bravery on those who love us and those who support us. So really, really excellent point about communication and also acknowledging the shift in identity. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So to shift just slightly, because I've talked about my relationship with um, death and with grief what is your own relationship with that like? And did your relationship with it lead you into this line of work at all? Yes, absolutely. And I feel like my experience happened first and then making sense of that experience and transmuting it into purpose or something that fueled my life. Not only did the experience of death profoundly impact my life, but the lessons that came from 
the shadows and fears of death that I was able to then transmute into a gift or some sort of service for my community to say, here is the direct experience that I've had with death. And these are the lessons that I've learned. And this is how I want to help people. And for me, the experience was losing my father as a young girl. And there were many, there were definitely many lessons that emerged from losing my dad as a young girl. And it took me many years to get to the point where I could look into that pain and transmute it into some sort of purpose. And I feel like my relationship with death and grief took a really long time um, in terms of processing, experiencing, and expressing grief. I didn't get to do those three things because it wasn't acknowledged. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have the experience of friends kind of bringing up, oh, oh, your your dad has passed. It It wasn't acknowledged at all. It wasn't acknowledged by extended family. It wasn't acknowledged by my friends at school. It wasn't acknowledged by my teachers. And this led to a denial and a repression of grief. And over time, this denial and repression of grief started to become, it went from unresolved grief that I was carrying to becoming complex because from there, my mental health really declined, my physical health really declined. And I also became deeply isolated from the support that I so desperately needed. So as time progressed and I started to realize that there was this constant underpinning of this underpinned unresolved grief that was impacting my own life, I had become so shut down that I had lost my own passion and will to live. So I wasn't carrying grief, but I felt like I was having these surges. It was like a heavy rock that just kept pulling me down into I suppose, the depths of feeling fearful and isolated. And eventually, as my resources and I suppose also the information available to me, as that started to expand, I was able to actually look into my unprocessed grief with my father and start to make sense of that and start to express that and start to also process that and from that process, I feel like only last year, and my dad passed away when I was, so I was in grade four, so I must have been 11. I'm like 20, I'm 28 now. And only after doing bereavement counseling and a death through the course was I able to create internal resources for myself to express and deal with grief. So it's really incredible that that can take so long, but I think having the right resources and the right support were definitely what helped me deal with grief and learn how to carry it. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry for your loss at such a young age. And I am glad that you found those resources still at quite a young age. And I feel for, for many people because this is something that isn't talked about very often, they carry that, that grief inside of them for the rest of their own lives as well. Because 
I think your experience, a lot of people can see themselves in that, whereas it just hasn't been acknowledged and that pain becomes isolation because if no one's bringing it up to you as the person who's in pain, you don't necessarily have that, that strength or that energy or that braveness to bring it up yourself. So it just becomes kind of this, this lonely experience that definitely can cause a lifetime of other challenges, as you mentioned, rolling into feelings of loneliness and feelings of depression and feelings of not knowing what to do. Hmm. And I think on the, on the topic of learning how to carry grief and also the, the change, the shift in identity. I don't know if you've experienced this, but it's, you know, when you have a, a relationship with somebody that's close to you and then, and they pass on how that has like a ripple effect into the other relationships that were formed around the relationship that you had. So in the case with me and my dad or with you and your mom, our support groups or our friends, the people that we're in relation with, for example, there may be, you know, it's like once somebody is gone, they feel like, oh, because you used to come around with your mom and we would have lunch together. They feel like they can no longer invite you because your loved one is no longer around when in fact that would be an ideal time to still invite people who have experienced loss and try to create you know if there's capacity and if it feels natural to still continue maintaining your own life but learning how to bring a sense of remembrance that way it's like you can still live your own life and you can also learn how to carry your grief and have it seen and acknowledged not only by you, but by your community as well. I feel like that's a really key opportunity for reducing the isolation that people experience when they are processing loss or grief. Mm -hmm. And you bring up such an important point about how relationships shift. And I think vice versa from what you described, how the person who experienced loss, their relationships change. So, you know, for my, when I would go visit my parents, I would mostly spend time with my mom. So now when I go to visit my dad, it's me and him. And that relationship has to change. And the relationships with my siblings has a different dynamic. And my mom's extended family, her mom and her sisters, that side of the family dynamic is shifted because I always used my mom as a pathway to those people. Um, and so, you know, just thinking, you know, if someone loses a spouse or loses a sibling, like all so many relationship dynamics change from that. And um, I, I have something that keeps like popping into my head and then like disappearing. What is it that I want to say? <laughs> oh, um, one thing I noticed is that when my mom passed, I realized that she was pretty much my entire support system. So I was like, oh, the person I would normally turn to is now gone. But that made me realize that 
I need to strengthen other relationships that I feel can become support systems. So it, that was one of the lessons in that passing was putting more energy into friendships and into my relationships with my siblings and really strengthening those instead of letting one person be a lot of what I needed emotionally from others. So grateful for you coming to that insight and being able to take that insight and develop from that, especially seeing that there is a need for reaching out and nurturing other relationships outside of the relationship that you have with your mom. And I feel like when we experience loss, there is the, another thing that becomes apparent is like where families or even, um, I mean, it's not just limited to families, whoever you are in, in relation with, in, 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 who you are close with, I feel like loss really starts to make it apparent where there is um, convergence or divergence in opinions or, you know, how things should be done or how things are perceived, which goes back to our initial point at the beginning when we think about things such as um, fear and avoidance when we talk about death and loss. Because if we, if we should, you know, if we find ourselves in a position where it's like we can anticipate that somebody is going to pass and we have that sacred time to help them plan for their end of life and also just be with them in that time. I feel like each individual person has so much being unearthed or so much coming to the forefront that sometimes it's overwhelming to now have to communicate that with other people and try to come to some sort of common ground. And I feel like that creates a lot of conflict in relationships it creates a lot of conflict. It creates isolation before somebody dies and also creates isolation after they've passed. So I feel like the maintaining of relationships, both when people are living and when they have passed on, it's really an art. <laughs> it's really a skill for us to, to learn how we're going to be showing up for each other. It definitely is. Um... And because my mom passed about two weeks after COVID hit where I live in Canada. So everything was locked down. So it was a really atypical situation because normally when someone passes here in Canada, um, everyone brings food and you come and visit the house and you bring food and you visit and whatever. But because we were told not to see people that we don't live with, that didn't happen. Like I, a couple people did, but people didn't come over and visit. People didn't, there was no one to hug. We weren't able to have a funeral. We had like just a viewing for just siblings, my dad and our partners, like my, my, my partner and my brother's partner. And then we had a celebration of life like six months later um, when we were able to have gatherings again. But that really was an interesting situation and i think it's here in canada it's one of the i think one i don't know what the word is but just one of the, a very painful part of the whole covid situation is 
people having to pass alone or people not being able to gather in community or people being afraid to gather in community because like I think we've we've really definitely already hit this nail on the head but that community that relationship that togetherness is so necessary and so healing after someone passes Mm -hmm. to have it be taken away from us I think is just such a deep disservice to the human experience wow I'm just processing I'm processing um I just feel that I within my own body that just activated you know this response of of devastation uh, to not be able to lean into I mean like a hug a hug is just it can be the soothing balm um, in a time when you have just experienced loss and I feel you know I, I want to be conscious of the climate of what COVID has done for the human race and what it means to be in community, what it means to be around people in person. Um, And also just acknowledge that a lot of people have lost their lives during this pandemic, but also just the psychological effects, as you've said, of social distancing. And within people's minds where it's like, there is that fear where it's like, I don't want to make people sick, um, but I do want to be around people. So now specifically when we're looking at end of life processes or experiences like funerals, um, I haven't personally myself gone to a lot of funerals, but I have found in going to a funeral and being around people to to share hugs, to share food, um, and to express what we are feeling together is a really deeply healing part. It initiates the healing process. So to not have that, I still haven't, you know, I can't say like I've got like a solid train of thought about that experience, what it's like. For me, it still baffles me. I mean, I, I attended recently a funeral online um, for a dear friend of mine. And I also felt this whirlwind of emotion of being perplexed that this was happening through a screen, but also finding a very deep sense of gratitude that there was an alternative. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this time really asks us to look into creating alternatives that are as impactful and as meaningful as gathering in person or even you know if it is something that you can do if it is available to you to try do that in smaller numbers and also being conscious of how you do that so that there isn't a complete absence of support but i absolutely do agree with you that just the the idea that we can't be in community physically because there is there's this resonance when you are with people that you love 
and it's it doesn't necessarily translate as well online let's be let's be honest with it. it doesn't mm-hmm. translate as well but it is for now as we become more skillful and creative at least it is an alternative that we have and i feel like it does create very exciting um possibilities for us to start looking into redoing um our ceremonies or any sort of rituals, making it more frequent and I suppose in line with the times. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's such a good reminder. And I will add that I think one good thing about my mom passing during COVID is, and this is such a fucked up good thing, I didn't feel any pressure to go back to work before I was ready. And Mm. I imagine that if things were just quote unquote normal and I had a loved one pass, I would personally feel pressure to just move on, just get on with life, you know, just go back to work. Cause unfortunately here in Canada, and I think in many other places, bereavement time from work is practically nothing. And it's only for, you know, a parent or a sibling or a spouse, you know, it's not for a grandparent all the time, or it's not, or, you know, it's not for a friend who, you know, maybe that friend was closer to you than your parent, but because you weren't blood related, your company doesn't recognize it as a quote unquote significant passing i feel like i'm just on a tangent now because it really pisses me off (laughs) (laughs) it's um such a good i feel aspect to touch on bringing light to that bringing a sense of wakefulness to that uh, where so in south africa to my knowledge when it comes to family responsibility leave, I think you have three days. Yeah, I think that's what it is here. Uh, and I, so in the event, and also not to, to generalize here, but general, generally speaking, people haven't, and this is why I feel like death dealer service is so important because one of the aspects of service that we provide to families is making sure that your advanced planning is done. So for somebody to say, this is how I'd like my funeral be to, to be done. I've put funds aside to make sure that you can bury me. Please do it this way. I have a will and my will. I've stated how I want you know, my property to be divided. You know, those kind of practical, very stressful things when it comes to, to dying. Um, And also when it comes to, I suppose, like probate or filing a death certificate, Mm -hmm. if this hasn't been done in advance, it's like you've just found out that somebody has died and now you have to be doing things like identifying, canceling bank accounts and canceling subscriptions. And to have a timeline of three days to do that and on top of that still emotionally try to conduct whatever emotions are arising in your body it just doesn't seem like it's of service to people and it's it's not helpful it's not healthy i do understand that organizations obviously do have pressure for their employees to be at work but i feel like what kind of quality 
of what kind of quality work environments are we creating when people feel pressure to be returning back to quote unquote, quote unquote normal when they've just like their whole life has literally been disassembled and needs to be built back up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I was working as a server and I said so many times, I was like, if I had to go back to work right away and someone complained about their food being cold, I would lose my shit. I'd be like, there's bigger things happening in the world than your food being cold, you know? Because (laughs) if the pressure is to return to work, nobody's doing any kind of quality work three days after a loved one passes away. Like, just give them time off and let them come back when they're ready to, because that's also a really weird point. And I remember it so vividly because there was no quote unquote normal to go back to. I think I stayed in the not moving on. I know moving on isn't like the right term, but I stayed in this very present with the grief, with the loss for probably longer than I needed to. But because there was nothing pulling me out of it, because you couldn't go out, you couldn't, see friends, like think businesses were still closed. I was just kind of stuck in it. So it's an interesting balance and it's different for everybody what they need. But I remember one thing my aunt told me, she lost her dad when she was a either a teenager or early twenties. And um, I remember her saying like, don't rush, especially with the person's items and possessions because you don't want to get rid of something hastily and then wish you'd held on to it. So just take your time. Like there's no rush. Yes, that is such valuable advice or valuable support to give somebody to not rush. And another important thing that you've also said is that it's different for everybody there are some people who have expressed that when they have dealt with loss, to go straight back to work has been was something that helped them to, you know, not be consumed mm-hmm. by their grief. But I mean, we have different, everybody has a different response to, to trauma or challenge. Um, you could, I don't want to say that it's a distraction because, you know, if you were working before you've lost somebody and you go back to work, it can, I mean, it can be a mix. It can either be a distraction or it could be you stepping back into your own life because despite despite these experiences being on way opposite end of the spectrum, I mean, you have the death, somebody's life has just come to an end, but then you have your life, you're still living and being able to have both of these experiences side by side is really unique to the individual but I suppose the central and key point is to allow people the time so it's like when we look at grief it's almost I like the the comparison of looking at grief in in waves so almost like the ocean that it's constantly moving it's sometimes ebbing it's sometimes flowing but you know, not applying a timeline to grief 
I feel like we apply timelines to everything. It's like, mm -hmm. I've got a goal, I've got a timeline, I've got six months and I've got to get from point A to point B. Whereas we could look at grieving and loss as a passage, like a pathway in life that you have to experience and just experiencing it, however you know how to is enough without any sort of objective of saying like, okay, I'm in pain now, but I'm going to get to growth. Like it, it will happen, but just being with your grief is enough without trying to get to the process of pain to remembrance, but learning mm -hmm. how to conduct the emotion of grief in the body. I feel like that's something, I mean, we don't experience loss hopefully i mean I'm, I'm hoping that we're not experiencing one loss loss after the other when it comes to death of physical people um so it's not like it's it's not a muscle that we can um build as frequently as other experiences because it doesn't happen that often mm -hmm. um, so i think that that's what's really important that when it does happen that as you've said you really do take your time yeah and that reminds me of um one person in particular after my mom passed they kept saying like you're the matriarch of your family now isn't that exciting and i'm like no maybe one day it'll be exciting but today it's not and i felt like a lot of pressure to have that growth and i'm like i want to be angry for a while and that's okay and that's that's one thing I think it's important for people listening to know that like being angry about someone passing is okay. It's, it doesn't always have to be sadness and it, it doesn't really matter how that person passed. Anger is still an acceptable emotion. And for me, a lot of that anger came from like not being able to have the life I thought I was going to have with my mom. And that's it. And that brings me to another place like the grief isn't just losing that person, but it's losing all the dreams and plans you had with them. I cry on a lot of these episodes. It's okay. <laughs> it's absolutely it's okay. Yeah. Uh. I'm just virtually holding you in the in this space now, just allowing some time for that. Thank you. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Um, I think when it comes to, and I'm also I just want to acknowledge you know what you've expressed, and also just sending you a lot of love from from the side of the planet, um, and that in you sharing your experience, that you're also helping other people understand their own process and just look into it and also know that they're not alone, particularly what you've expressed in terms of when you've lost, it's almost like a double loss. You lose someone. And like you said, you also lose the, the things that you had forecasted to manifest with that person. Um, that your collection of happy memories has now come to, you know, that is what you have now, but they, they, won't, they won't be more. There is just what exists currently. And I feel like 
there's a deep desire for people to want to bring comfort and resolve. And in that desire to want to bring comfort and resolve, sometimes it, what we say comes across as brash or maybe poorly thought out, you know, for someone to say to you, like, oh, you, you're now the matriarch of the family. That must be so exciting. And like you said, it's like, no, I, I am someone who is at loss. Like, I'm still in this phase of loss. And, I, I, you know, it's like, I want you to see me. What I hear when you say this, like, I want to be seen mm-hmm. as I am identifying now. And if you want to help me find some sort of comfort or help me confront these emotions, like, see me see me now as I am and and allowing also that need to allow people to be angry, allow people to feel guilt or or whatever emotions are coming up or arising from the process of loss. I feel we kind of bracket uh, to quote, like quote unquote appropriate Mm -hmm. emotions when it comes to grief, which is like for you to feel sadness and then for you to move on. And it's like, no, depending on the context of how you lose someone, there could be a lot of anger. There could be a lot of resentment. And sometimes people become isolated. For example, if you have an, if you are estranged, like if your family is not doing well or you're, you're holding grudges and somebody passes on, some people may be like, you know what, I didn't have a good relationship with the person that passed and I'm still angry at them and I still have unresolved emotions. But because anger isn't seen as a part of the ex- the spectrum of, you know, a- acceptable, and I'm quoting here, <laughs> acceptable emotions, it's almost like there isn't space for you to, to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just to... I've said it a few times, but like, you just never know how you're going to react or how the people who are experiencing the loss are going to react. So really just like giving that space for whatever comes up to be there. Absolutely. And I think when we start to break down existing ideas about emotions that arise from grief there are so we can now see that there are so many factors that determine how grief will be processed and expressed there are a lot of factors um you know when we look at things like it may sound strange but things like gender can affect people's grieving process so if you are if you identify as a female and you know people will expect oh because you identify as a female you're going to be very expressive about your grief and you're going to be you know very emotional and if you identify as a man then you're going to be very stoic about it and if you deviate from these preconceived ideas of expressing grief then it's like people don't know how to handle the expression Mm -hmm. so just giving there are really a lot of layers to looking at how to express grief and how to support people through grief and I feel like that's why it's so essential for these conversations it's so essential for us to take accountability where it's like how can I educate myself on being aware of grief for yourself and for other people 
Mm-hmm. And that leads really beautifully into the next question I had in mind. Um, we've talked a lot about the post passing, like what happens after a loved one or after you're a, a loved one of someone who has someone who passed. And for me, I already was very accepting of death before my mom passed. And I think that was helpful. But you talked about the ex- becoming comfortable with the experience of grief. And I, I really feel like that's something that's been on the forefront the past year and a half, but hasn't explicitly been spoken about is how collectively we're all experiencing grief, not just of loss of people, but loss of plans, loss of dreams, loss of hopes, loss of the comfort and safety of knowing what to expect. And I think the avoidance of these daily moments of grief, not just in the last year and a half, but of lifetime in total, you know, the grief of not winning the awards you thought you'd get or not getting the job you thought you'd get or not being able to go on the trip you planned. Like those are all moments of grief. And I think by um, acknowledging those smaller moments and learning to sit with those ones that are a little bit less intense than the, the loss of a loved one, we can start to build that tolerance of, or that, um, that I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for, but we're able to hold grief more easily and fear it less. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It was a bit yeah. of a, a run around. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is really so fantastic. And I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actively listening and um, it's bringing up many trains of thought for me. So let's see, let's, let's ride this train. Let's see where it goes. Um, so, so when I echo back what you're saying, this idea that we can become resilient. That's the word even, I was looking for. <laughs> we can become resilient even in the face of, of loss. And it's so important that you have expressed that loss is not limited to losing people that we love and know. It's not just death in the context of people dying. But as you said, like when we look into the context of the pandemic, we have loss in the context of people who have lost job security, people who had plans, um, you know, graduations, weddings. There's so many activities or experiences that we wanted to create that didn't come to fruition in the time that we thought they would. And I feel like it's unprecedented this time because it shows us something that's always been apparent that life is a subject to change. Everything is subject to change. Um, Nothing is permanent. And over and above that, we don't really have control. We want control. We desire control. Within reason, we can plan for things and we can influence how our human experience will be, but we actually don't have control. And we've almost lost a sense of wakefulness and curiosity for the mystery 
to be receptive to your human experience, that your human experience is a gift, and that experiences are given to you. You can also create experiences very deliberately, but for the most part, this experience is, is given to you. So it's absolutely natural to feel sadness. It's absolutely natural to feel anger at this um, perceived loss of control. But I feel like we'll be better able to deal with impermanence and deal with change and become more resilient when we feel like we may have lost something because we do lose things. And it does create um, space, which can sometimes feel like a void, an enormous void, especially if you're losing somebody that you love. And I feel like this resilience will help us to eventually see these spaces that are created by loss as space for us to continue to receive whatever it is that is meant for us, that is still coming towards us that we can't see. Um, so I suppose just softening, softening that need for control. Mm -hmm. I also feel that when it comes to fear around death or fear that we don't have that resilience, I always, uh, I, when I speak to people about dealing with loss, that I, there's an approach. I always talk about the approach that you take and that your approach can either be to confront or to comfort. And we kind of oscillate, we allow, for flexibility and we oscillate between comforting how we feel and nurturing you know whatever is coming up and also getting into a space where it's like wow what is this what does this mean for me what does loss mean for me what does fear mean for me and what's on the other side of that mm -hmm. mm. so so many important things in there of facing loss and, and questioning it, maybe even before it happens. So when it because, because like you said, the, the impermanence of life and the the changeability of life is and we've all heard it a million times, you know, death is, and loss are going to happen no matter what you can't stop them. Um, mm -hmm yet we still avoid them. So, and that, I think that's one of the big things that really helps me in my relationship with loss and with death is acknowledging that it's going to happen no matter what. So I can do things now to sit, be able to sit with it when it does happen, because I don't know when it's happening, but I know it's happening several times throughout my life because there's several people that I love. So, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully I live longer than all of them, but no. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have anything else that people can um, do before the loss to begin building that resilience? I would definitely recommend so in terms of this idea of forming a relationship with death and I feel like because there's this 
A common misconception that when we're thinking about death, that it's quite a, a morbid subject to be looking at, but it's actually death really informs us about what we feel is valuable in our lives, what gives our lives meaning. So if you can look at death as this reminder that it's inevitable and death usually will point you in the direction to what you feel is valuable. So if you, whenever I look into death and I think, you know, I mean, there are tangible things about death where it's like, I'm scared of dying alone. Then while you are living now, spend as much time as you can in community with people who make you feel good, make you feel loved and who you have fun with. So it's just that process of beginning to look at your fear of dying and who comes up in this process when you think about it or what comes up. And it starts to highlight what you feel is valuable. And I feel that's how you bring meaning to your life. Mm -hmm. So by living authentically, doing the things that are meaningful to you, caring for the people that you love while you are living and not so much always thinking, you know, I don't know, sometimes we procrastinate as if we have the privilege of thinking that we're going to live forever. Like we're, we're not going to live forever. That's why you've really got to, you know, as cliche as it sounds, you know, when they say like seize the moment or like carpe diem, really like now is all you have. So it is natural to feel fearful about death, but also using death as a teacher to inform you of what is valuable and what makes your life meaningful. Mm, that would be is such it, a, oh, go ahead. Sorry, because if you're living fully, you know, the moment of death could come at any time, but in that moment, if you are celebrating and you're being authentic, then your life will come to an end in an authentic, celebratory kind of fashion. That's what you, you know, you were doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's such a wild and powerful and probably extremely painful practice, but to think about the fears or journal on or talk with if whatever, whatever practice helps people connect with themselves, um, to think about what fears would come around death. Like you said, the fear of dying alone and then work backwards to now with, okay, mm -hmm. how can we avoid that from happening by living more deeply, more richly, more presently today? Yes, absolutely. And it's, you know, there's so many over and above death do this. I feel like um, death education and death work is, it's not new. It's actually done by a lot of other members in our community. So, you know, even if that means if you are religious, for example, if that means going to somebody that you trust, talking to your pastor about your fears for dying, just getting any sort of additional information and resources. There are so many different pathways and so many ways to look at um, death as a teacher. Um, and I think just a willingness, so starting with a willingness 
to look at death. And as you start to explore death, looking into whatever fears are coming up and then trying to, as you said, working backwards to come back to a place of compassion and understanding, whatever that may look and feel like for you so that you can find in the present moment a lot of value in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you said, like, it's cliche, but it keeps coming back in my mind, like, seize the moment, live for today, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. Like, we put those things on posters and hang them up in our wall and then kind of forget that it is a practical application day to day um, to live fully whatever that means for you you know live your life to the fullest does not have to mean move to bali and start your own business and go skydiving like it can mean making a coffee date once a week with your friends so you're consistently in contact with each other or it can mean sunday dinners or it can mean go visit your grandma like it can mean whatever you want it to mean Yes, and that's such a wonderful example because I feel like when we also look at the context of the pandemic where we have limited um, ability to move, and I feel like we're always focused on like those big plans, you know, where it's like landing the big job or moving to Bali (laughs) and starting that dream business that you can find a lot of magic and sacredness and seemingly mundane things. Mm -hmm. So finding gratitude for waking up in the morning, finding gratitude for the body that you have and everything that it's doing for you to sustain life. Um, gratitude for where you live that's like the small things that we we take for granted that are actually these collection this collection of moments that make up your life (laughs) I feel like when I look at like the big things where like you know when I got married or when I had a child like those are the things we tend to identify with most as opposed to the smaller seemingly mundane things Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, it's the mundane moments that lead to the big moments. But then those big moments lead back into the mundane moments, you know, like the excitement of having a wedding. Well, you had to have a relationship build up to the wedding. And then after the wedding, you have the marriage. <laughs> but just focusing on that one goal can it can kind of create some oh for me it brings up a feeling of like being lost because you're working to one thing and then it's like okay now what now i have to create a new goal but when the goal is just you know be present or have quality conversations or whatever something very simple and mundane then the goal can be achieved every single day So funny in my mind, I'm just thinking, isn't it ironic that there's like an absence of life in not being present, that you can be a living person who has experiences an absence of life because you're always wanting to be in the future or in a future um, dated moment that you actually lose, (laughs) you lose your actual life that's happening right now. So yes, a definite sense of of wakefulness for receiving life 
as it is, just seeing things as they are, whether they are supposedly big or, or small, that every moment counts. Mm-hmm. And I say this like 100% to myself of like, mm-hmm. stop living. Like my b- boyfriend was joking the other day. He's like, I don't even know how far into the future your brain can see. It feels like it's always four years ahead. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I know it's a pro- it, it's stressful. <laughs> But yes, finding that it's such a powerful reminder that when we live in our minds, when I live in my mind in the future, I miss out on the present. You know, even I always have to remind myself when I'm recording podcasts to actively listen so we can have a conversation rather than thinking of the next question or or how long is this going to last or how how good can it be just focus on what's happening now in the present conversation and all of those things will work out anyways yes finding or creating space for yourself to trust your natural responsiveness um and listening is definitely a skill i feel like That's something that I've definitely started to learn in terms of not only teaching yoga and not just bereavement or death doula work, but really just listening to what somebody is saying. And, you know, without any kind of agenda in terms of like responding or saying something that's cool, or like you said, you know, trying to create this ideal podcast, but just really allowing yourself to listen with your whole body and it's such a fun it's really such a powerful skill to to learn and I feel like a gentle approach is definitely definitely best but such a, a powerful skill to learn active listening mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so do you have any kind of final well okay one thing I want to kind of jump back to um you mentioned that it was really only in the last year when you started studying to become a death doula that you found yourself releasing and facing that grief of your father passing. Was there anything in particular that helped you with that process? I feel like it's um, the, the healing journey for me really started to take off because even in the past when my grief was unresolved and started to become complex there were still attempts even though there were maladaptive coping mechanisms there was still a desire for healing the human body is just so incredible and the brain is so incredible that we are by design we always want to protect and preserve our life force So I found that in looking at the maladaptive coping mechanisms that I had and starting to replace them. So helping myself to access resources and resources can be internal and they can be external. So in terms of external resources, really making sure that I was communicating with the people that I love, the people that I felt like I could be vulnerable with 
Also getting into support groups with people who have experienced something similar also gives you a means to be around people who may understand you a bit better than someone who may not have experienced um, loss. I found that those external resources were helpful. Also creating rituals in terms of remembering the legacy of my dad and also trying to invite, you know, the people that I trusted from my community to participate in these rituals in remembering my dad. So it kind of gave them a way to know how to help me go about being in remembrance and also kind of relieve stress from them where it's like, I don't know what to say. I don't want to be awkward. Well, it's like, okay, well, here, this is something that's meaningful to me. Please be a part of this process. So there were the external resources. Then there were internal resources. And I always try to, whenever I help somebody in terms of counseling, there needs to be an... space where you identify, you know, there are three things that I, let's just say there are three things. It could be any number of things, but for me, it's like there are three things that I need to do every day to make sure that I remain embodied, that I stay within my body and able to conduct any kind of emotion on any spectrum, whether it's happiness, pleasure, or deep sadness and pain. How do I embody that experience and conduct it? So, you know, there are three things where it's like, I need to go for a walk, get some sunlight, (laughs) um, journaling, dancing, and yoga. Those were the things that I did where it's like, these things help me to comfort myself and they also help me to confront my grief. So all in all, these resources, both internal and external, create a toolkit for you which comes back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, how do we build resilience for loss and transformation? We create toolkits for ourselves, we create skills for ourselves, and that helps us to remain adaptable to the human experience. And this toolkit that I've created for myself of embodiment practices applies to anything. And I feel like It's empowering because I know that if I can't access an external resource, at least something internally will be there for me to help me continue living authentically. Mm -hmm. Mm. I love that you spoke about internal and external resources because having both is so important. One for when you said when the external resources aren't available, the internal ones are. But I also feel like in the kind of wellness, spiritual, online world right now, internal resources are weighed as more important than external resources. But to be able to turn to someone else and have that hug or have a conversation about something else or have the opportunity to laugh is so important and so valuable to always be internally focused can become overwhelming and draining. So that balance and every individual has their own balance is really important, I think. Yes. And I I think 
In terms of uh, that balance between internal and external resources, it definitely requires a sense of awareness. And I think in having that awareness and also always constantly being conscious of the fact that witnessing is like another rite of passage for humans to witness other people in a moment of challenge like grief is you know something we need to take accountability for and it's also a skill that we need to develop within ourselves to be able to witness and hold space but then on the other side of that spectrum also for people to feel comfortable to allow themselves to be witnessed because mm -hmm. a lot of people go into isolation because it's like oh my grief is too heavy i'm too heavy for people i don't want to be miserable i don't want to bring people down with my grief is a denial of that rite of passage to be witnessed so it's that kind of twofold where we have to be comfortable witnessing people and we have to be comfortable feeling like we're worthy of being witnessed and seen mm-hmm I love that you call it a rite of passage because it really does feel like to create deep relationships or to create like meaningful community that there are steps that need to happen. You don't just meet someone one day and then all of a sudden you're in this deep, meaningful relationship with them. There are there are moments where we build trust with others and to have that rite of passage of being able to witness another person in their most human and their most yet most soulful moments, their most real and honest times is a very special gift to give to others. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like building that wealth, that wealth of intimacy also does require, like you said, there are going to be times when you, when you meet somebody and as your relationship progresses, there'll be those tough times where you look at somebody and you're like, Whoa, <laughs> like, well, like that was ugly or like, you know, like, Oh, what is that? Um, and really you know, having that compassion and wisdom to know that also there are times where you are like that as well. <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> um, and just allowing for people to, to be human so that we can access that, that wealth of intimacy and community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like the word of this episode is community and just yeah. needing it so deeply i i really feel that it's the biggest thing that m is missing from modern society is community and being able to know that you have people that will be there to bring you food or give you a hug or clean your bathroom because <laughs> they care about you not because they want something in return but just because they want to give care and support and nourishment to another human yes that's like uh, you know for me personally but i feel like it's safe to say for for everybody anybody who is human like the 
And I feel like our current times really points to this, that everything is interconnected. As much as some people want to be islands and want to do everything themselves and achieve everything by themselves, that doing things or being in community with other people acknowledges that already, you know, whether you consciously choose to do it, that everything is is connected. Every decision that you will ever make in your life, every action that you will take in this life will impact the people around you and it will impact the planet. So why not just start with a sense of wakefulness to your environment and to the other living people around you? Because there's so much to learn. We're, we're all mirrors for each other. And if someone in your community is not healthy and not thriving, then also the chances are that you are also not thriving and you're not thriving and as healthy as you could be if everybody was on, on a, a level playing field. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that so much. Do you have any thing that you want to share that maybe we like got off on a tangent and like changed direction or was there anything before we we recorded today that you were like oh I really hope I have the opportunity to say this or share this Hmm. let me give that some thought I would say I suppose in summary another point um, and I don't want to just limit this to only death care. I think to as a broad, um, I suppose a broad topic or broad thing to look at is looking at whatever skills and passion that you have, whether it's in wellness, you know, whatever field that you're in, to really look at what barriers people have to care, to care and nourishment and seeing how you can break down barriers to care, nourishment and information. And that if people have any sort of reservations or doubt about the value of their voice to work really passionately at, you know, breaking down that self-doubt and really taking your skills and whatever you're passionate about so that you can break down barriers to care and information. So sharing helpful information, you know, be helpful to your community in whatever capacity you have. Um, And hopefully in doing that, you create an authentic, meaningful life for yourself um, and for other people as well. Mm -hmm. And one thing that just came up for me when you were saying that is, sharing you said sharing what in whatever capacity you have to create meaningful interactions and of doing your best to not worry about doing it quote unquote perfectly or quote unquote correctly like your capacity is different than my capacity is different than someone else's capacity and we need all of those differences to create a whole, because like you said, we're all connected. If we were all doing the same thing perfectly, we w- then we would be islands because we could just take care of ourselves. But since we are connected, we all have a way to do it. So showing up for someone or showing up for yourself imperfectly 
is much more meaningful because it's authentic. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And not letting that, um, a lot of people will not do something that they're passionate about because they feel like, like you said, that it's not a perfect offering prior to getting into teaching yoga or death do the service or bereavement. I was always like, Oh, you know, I don't know if I should do this. I'm, you know, it's like, I wanted myself to be the most, uh, like you said, perfect or to be like the authority of a particular subject. And it's like, you know what? I actually don't have to be the be all and end all. My opinion and my knowledge is not the be all and end all of, of death care, but it is something and something is definitely better than nothing. So, you know, really zooming into what you are passionate about. What is your direct experience? And when you look at your own direct experience and your own pain, and how you transmuted your pain into purpose, you'll find that that authentic offering is actually very valuable. Mm, well, I'm so grateful that you are in this world and that there are other people in the death doula and the bereavement space that are having this conversation and are making it more mainstream and are guiding people on their own paths to finding that comfort and that understanding of loss and grief and death and finding an, an easier time to move through those experiences. So thank you so much for being you and showing up in the way you do and for doing this work. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. Thank you for sharing. Well, thank you firstly for creating your platform and thank you for sharing it. Thank you for being so conscious of being in community and collaborating with other voices that are around you. Um, I think it's really important that we do have people who are, are reaching out and, and sharing their platforms and being in conversation about things that impact us all. So I've really enjoyed this conversation. Very grateful for you and thank you so much. Thank you. And once people finish this episode, how can they connect with you? Um, what are you offering? How can they find you? If people would like to get in contact with me, I do have an Instagram page. My handle is love Gaia exploration. I'm also active on LinkedIn. If anybody searches for my profile, they would type in Abeda Chasulwa Musengi. And between LinkedIn and Instagram, I also have a website. My website is purevisionyoga at weebly.com. So between those three platforms, that's where I stay. Um, I try to be active on those platforms, though I find a lot of peace <laughs> in kind of not being on social media too much, but they can definitely access, um, we can be in conversation there. And um, yeah, in terms of the offerings that I have, I do bereavement counseling, yoga for grief relief, and I also facilitate other embodiment practices. Beautiful. And all of those links will be in the show notes. So really easy for you guys to just click on them and 
go to your spaces and connect with you. So thank you again for taking the time, taking the energy um, to share your message and to share yourself with this community. It's so meaningful, as you said, like, thanks to me for sharing my space, but thanks to you for showing up in this space. And it's community in in our own way. And I'm, I'm truly blessed to be able to connect with you and to give into the world in whatever small way we can with this hour that we had together. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you everybody for listening. And if you want to share anything with us after the episode, message on Instagram, email, whatever way you like to communicate, we're always happy to continue the conversation or to hear what you took away from this. And I will see you on the next episode of the Prism Lighthouse podcast. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode of the Prism Lighthouse podcast. I am deeply grateful that you have chose to spend your precious time and energy with us here. If you want to keep this conversation going, join us inside the Spiritual Social Network an online space where you can explore and express your spirituality, be part of a community of like-minded people, attend weekly spiritual events, and make new friends and have more fun. If you're ready to join us, head over to spiritualsocialnetwork.com. It's only $10 a month and your first month is free.